When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Red Sox beat number 270. Welcome. I'm Josh Lewin. This is my last one, at least for a while. I'm not saying goodbye forever necessarily, but I do have to say goodbye for a little while. My UCLA duties are finally starting up again, and it's time to replace the exact same logo, just with different colors. That's one of the great things about doing Red Sox and Bruins of UCLA stuff simultaneously is it really is the same cap. It's just one of them is blue and gold. One of them is red and blue. So there you have it. Uh, what are we doing today? We got a lot to do today. And thank you, by the way, for tuning in once again. Jason Mastrodonato of the Boston Herald will be joining us. He wrote a reasonably controversial piece about Kevin Pillar in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests and the postponement of games last week. And we'll give him a chance to work through that. We're going to actually play some Kevin Pillar audio for you. He was in the middle of uh, the controversy, of course, and then got traded. That had nothing to do with why he got traded. But uh, we'll get through the trades. We'll talk to Jason. We'll talk to Jason about the trades. And in my continuing series of letting you hear normal baseball from back in spring training before we knew about what COVID was all about and what 2020 would become when the worst thing that had happened and we, we figured it couldn't possibly get any worse was the tragic death of Kobe. We thought that was the, the absolute low ebb of 2020. And unfortunately, that was just the beginning of, of all the nightmarish stuff we've gone through. Anyway, back then, such a kinder, simpler, gentler time. I was just interviewing guys talking about looking forward to 2020. And one of the great gentlemen around the Red Sox First base coach Tom Goodwin is always such a great conversation, such an upbeat interview. He's been through a lot. Talk about this. He lost one of his sons uh, to to suicide not too long ago. Uh, And just an unspeakable tragedy for Tom and for that whole wonderful family. Uh, The way he stays upbeat and motivated is remarkable to me. And I thought you'd like to hear some just good old-fashioned upbeat baseball talk from a first base coach so we'll finish with that and again get to to jason in just a little here quick reminder about uh, and a thank you too to one of our continued sponsors which of course is bet online your chance to bet on sports now finally is back and they always have you covered i mean that's not a question you guys if you've been following what we do here you've heard about bet online for forever and there's a good reason that they really are great in that space so uh check them out their, their pandemic series is wonderful. BetOnline.ag. All the odds are there. The up-to-date sports news, it's all there. Sign up. Take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And if this is something that 
tickles you in any way, if you are now getting into the whole sports wagering thing because it's becoming more and more popular, these are the guys that really can kind of keep your attention. They, they do it right. They do it well. So thanks to, to Bet Online as always. Let's talk about some of the things going on in Red Sox Nation even before we get to Jason Mastrogenato here because I think where it is for me is life comes at you fast. I mean, the, the Red Sox used 44 players in the World Series season of just two years ago, right? 108 wins that year, a resounding World Series title. Of those 44 players two years ago, we're looking at 13 that remain in the organization right now, and that includes Dustin Pedroia, who's basically retired. Mitch Moreland, gone. We'll talk about that in a bit. Kevin Pillar was only here for a little while. He's gone now. Josh Osich, if you knew he was on the team, is gone. Uh, the Red Sox rotation recently, this past weekend, it was Chris Mazza on Saturday, Zach Godley on Sunday, Colton Brewer on Monday with a TBA on Tuesday. That is not how this was drawn up at the beginning of the season. And as Pete Abraham said in the Globe, it's a creeping anonymity with the Red Sox now. And where does it stop, right? Because outside of a few core players, we're looking at fringe big leaguers that you, you really could not pick out of a, of a lineup. If, if you went down to the police station, you wouldn't know who's who. And we lean on the fact that the GM, actually the chief baseball officer, Hyam Bloom, very good at making incremental moves piece by piece until before you know it, you've got a really good team. It works. I mean, the, the Rays won 186 games in 18 and 19. They're in first place right now. Their farm system is loaded. But who are the Rays? Not only haven't they won a division series since 2008, but you never seem to know exactly who's on the team. And just before you get really in love with somebody, they might be gone too. I would hate to think that's where the Red Sox are going. Some of the new guys that have come in, I think, could be very interesting. And the Moreland deal with San Diego, and the Padres traded for everybody, by the way, but Hudson Potts has got a Fenway swing. Big, beefy, right-handed third baseman who I think can, uh, if he can learn how to hit for average, could just wear out the, the green monster. Uh, he's a kid from South Lake, Texas, that actually was not Hudson Potts originally. He changed his last name when he was 18. So if you've, you've tried to kind of keep up with him, that's been difficult. But, uh, you know, kind of guy that right now a double-A ball Hits 220, but has a ton of home runs. I mean, you just got to see if he can put it together. Jason Rosario, exciting prospect they got back. Kid that did backflips on his way out to his position as a Fort Wayne tin cap. Love hearing that. Bobby Dahlbeck has his shot now with all these trades and comings and going. Moreland out. Dahlbeck's in, wearing number 29, just like Adrian Beltre, right? He was in the Sunday lineup. And I, I don't know if Bobby Dahlbeck's going to really be something, speaking of big hulking guys who can hit him out on top of the monster. But homering in your first big league game, the little tip of the hat to Daniel Nava or Kevin Euclid or the great Sam Horn, who, by the way, I saw as a Rochester Red Wing not too, well, actually it was a, a long time ago. I was going to say not too long ago, but we're talking about in the freaking 1980s now, I think. Uh, Jason Mastrodonato of the Herald, also from Rochester. He does not remember Sam Horn because I'm I'm old and he's not old. But I once saw him against the Tidewater Tides with a five-home run doubleheader. It was just a remarkable thing to behold. I mean, you guys know about Sam Horn better than I do. But uh, other first home run games for the Red Sox, not too many of them. Danny Schaefer had one back in 87, only nine ever. But anyway, Dahlbeck had one on a total 
golf shot, just a little slice down the right field line just inside the pesky pole. Nobody knew it was gone. It was a 43-degree launch angle, meaning just a towering pop-up is all this was. But that was a good day. Sunday was a good day. Kevin Ploiecki had never been on the field for a Red Sox win, 0-11 when he played. And that's not fair because he's actually had a pretty good year. But Red Sox actually won the weekend series. They're unbeaten in their last four series heading into uh, what they've got with Atlanta right now. And look, they're 1-12 against the Yankees and the Rays this year, but they got a winning record against everybody else. That's one way to, to put that if, if we want to shine a nice light on it. But uh, back to Dahlbeck, I, I hope he's something. The, the guy that comes to mind for me since I'm – Still dating myself and telling you how old I am with every one of these Sam Horn recollections. You guys remember Creighton Gubanich? That's who that guy reminds me of. He was a, a big, strong kind of catcher slash infielder type, late 1990s, and went to Mike Piazza's high school, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and he was supposed to be something. Never was. He had a a home run, maybe two, three games into his career. I'm looking it up right now. Hang on. Oh, yeah, here it is. This is a, an amazing game. The Red Sox of 99, which is such a fun team top to bottom. I know I'm veering all over the place here, but the 1999 team, think about it. I mean, it, it had Pedro's 23-4 and four with a 2.07, 313 strikeouts, which is still a record for the Red Sox. Nomar won a batting title, hitting 357. You had the All-Star game at Fenway. Daubach came up and got big hits. Mike Stanley had a great year. They were down 2-0 in the best of five in the playoffs, outscored Cleveland 32-10 from that point on. Their rotation, other than Pedro, was an absolute hot mess. It was Pat Rapp, Mark Portugal, Jin Ho Cho, Brian Rose. Uh, Wakefield was a closer for half the season. That season was nuts. So the Creighton-Gubanich game, the Red Sox behind a Gubanich home run, took a 7-0 lead in Oakland. This was early in the year. And then they gave it all away. They lost 12-11 and fell to basically a 500 team. This was right around, this is a day game in Oakland. It would have been very early May of 99. But that game ended with Tim Hericola walking back-to-back batters to force in the, the winning run. Kip Gross got the loss in that game, a game started by Mark Portugal in which Real Cormier and Mark Guthrie also pitched. So just a little stroll down memory lane for you. Anyway, since Jason Mastrodonato remembers none of that, let's get to Jason right now. And again, we're recording this in uh, not great times here where we, we don't have access to face-to-face-edness. But uh, he's at Fenway covering a game. I'm on the phone talking to him. Here's our interview, up to date with Jason. So... As promised, our good friend Jason Master Donato from the Herald joins us, and, and this is just kind of a, a reaction, I guess, Jason, from you, because you unwittingly were in the vortex of this thing with Pilar, and I note that, that Pilar and pilloried both start with the same four letters. I, I know you didn't mean to pillory a guy. You didn't mean to, to, to embarrass him or anything, but I thought you actually did a very nice job of, of basically kind of applying the brakes and saying, wait a minute. You know, I mean, what I just heard doesn't quite reconcile with the zeitgeist here, right? I mean, so right. I thought you did a nice job of calling it out. I think Kevin did a nice job of trying to explain himself. Where are you now several days after all this happened? Yeah, you know, for me, it wasn't like one of those things where I thought, oh, God, he's a terrible person. We need to, you know, the, the cancel culture that everybody hates. Let's cancel Kevin Pillar. It wasn't like that to me. It was I just heard um, somebody who I thought, 
was maybe misinformed. Maybe maybe wasn't. Maybe he wasn't misinformed, and and he was actually saying what he believed that he doesn't believe that black people need to be lifted up, and he doesn't believe that black people need any help right now. And um, maybe that's what he believed. Maybe he was misinformed. I don't know. But what I knew is what he said at the time. You know, on the day that they protested the game in honor of Jackie Bradley Jr., which he was very supportive, saying he was very supportive of Jackie Bradley Jr., he also chose to kind of take up a decent portion of the time that was supposed to be to support Jackie to share his opinions on what he thought about um, how black people were being treated in this country. So to me, it was a sign of, listen, we don't hear Jackie speak very often about this stuff. He's usually pretty quiet. It took him a while to get comfortable taking a knee. It took Mookie Betts taking a knee before Jackie Bradley took a knee. And this is why. This is why it's so hard for Jackie to do it and why it must be so hard for a black player in Boston, especially when he's the only one right now. There are guys in this team that don't believe that black people need lifting up. And so, to me, that was the point of the column was to say this is what Jackie's up against. And, you know, I know Kevin felt really bad about it and felt like he was mischaracterized. You know, I thought I wrote the column pretty fairly, but um, I thought his apology was perfectly fine. You know, he said he he maybe didn't speak the way he wanted to speak. That happens. We can move on. The point to me is still how hard is this for Jackie? And I still wonder, you know, I'm sure there's some divide in the clubhouse. We know what happened with Ryan Brazier and, and, you know, making fun of Doc Rivers' emotional speech. And I'm sure there's divide. And so I just wonder how hard is it for Jackie Bradley Jr.? And, you know, also, and I think you bring up a great point, because he really is kind of the, the lone ranger on, on a lot of this stuff. And one guy who we're actually going to hear from later in the podcast, but not about this, because it was a pre-recorded segment, is Tom Goodwin, who, whose dad was actually the first African-American lawyer and later the first uh, black judge in the city of Fresno, California. I mean, this is, a, you know, Tom Goodwin is a big social justice advocate and comes from a long line of, of very tremendous people in his family but in this covid world you know you can't walk up to goody now and solicit his opinion i can't i mean everybody's social distancing and we're all zoom calling and we're told who we get to zoom with and all of that not an easy time to be a reporter just for baseball let, let alone yeah. social issues right yeah no you're absolutely right and it's and i think it would be easier if we had you know, if this was a typical clubhouse access, you know, I could even go up to Kevin one-on-one and say, hey, you know, what you said sounds like this. Is that what you meant? Hey, Jackie, what's it like? I mean, Jackie's pretty quiet. I don't think he's going to say more than he, – he's very careful in what he says. I think he understands that his words have a lot of weight. He doesn't want to start a fight. He doesn't want to divide the clubhouse. He just wants to quietly protest and make his feelings known and, and move on. And so – it is hard. We don't get to hear the whole picture. We don't get to know everything that's going on. And and I thought that's why, you know, when you hear Ron Renneke making an emotional speech that day and Xander Bogart said some nice things about lifting Jackie up. And then, then you hear what Kevin said, it was just kind of contradictory and, and it was tough to understand the full picture. And you do wonder if this wasn't a COVID situation, will we know more and would it have been easier for us to kind of understand actually what's going on in the clubhouse? So Jackie ends up not getting traded. Uh, Kevin Pillar does with a Red Sox batting average of 274, seven doubles, couple of triples, four home runs. It's good defense we expected. He did a nice job and looks like they're uh, now going to at least get some clarity on who the player to be named later is and all of that. Uh, were you surprised that 
Jackie did not get moved. That, that I don't think you're surprised that Pollard did. But uh, just overall on the trades that were made, what kind of grade would you give High and Bloom and, and the Red Sox for what they did? Uh, I have, you know, these, these things are so hard when, when you're trading for 19-year-old kids and 20-year-olds because we don't know how they're going to perform. I, I, I would give it like a B. I mean, it, it's. I think the fact that he tendered Jackie Bradley a $11 million contract for this season is definitely going to be questioned because, hey, why did you give this guy $11 million, um in his final year before free agency when he doesn't even have trade value uh, and you can't even get anything for him at the deadline? And, and obviously he's not playing very well. Uh, it might be a different story if he was hit the 330, but there were questions at the time that when they tendered Bradley of why are they tendering him? Um, a lot of teams thought he would be non-tendered. A lot of teams thought he'd be traded. And so maybe that was the mistake by Bloom and the Red Sox was giving the $11 million contract to Bradley to begin with. And now you're kind of stuck with that. I mean, if they had traded Bradley and Navaldi, that's $27 million off the books. Mookie Betts cost $27 million this year. So it's not that simple, but you do wonder if that was a mistake. And the other trades make sense. I mean, Brandon Workman's a pending free agent. You get something for him. Kevin Pillar's a pending free agent. You get something for him. Um, you know, Heath Henry had another year left, but they liked that return. They packaged him with Workman. That's always smart to do. Moreland had the $3 million option for next year, so you like that. But he's getting older. I mean, he's going to be 36 next year. He's got a lot of injury problems. you got Bobby Dahlbeck and Michael Chavis to play some first base. You want to see what they can do. They, all the moves to me made sense. There was no move that was like, oh, my God, what a brilliant move. Um, the only questionable one was not trading Bradley, but if you can't get anything for him, you can't get anything for him. So I, I right. thought the Red Sox – the Red Sox did fine. One move they didn't make, and here's where baseball just plays with our emotions. I mean, if I were to tell you, hey, the Red Sox didn't sign an old guy who was three for 30 this year, you'd say, big deal. Of course they didn't. But then I say <laughs> that guy is Brock Holt, right, and, and everybody kind of loses their mind. Hey, you could you could have brought Brock Holt back and made a whole city happy for a month, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I'm glad Brock got a job. I really am. As you know, he's such a great guy. But no surprise the Red Sox didn't throw him a line, right? Yeah, you know, I was a little surprised. They need players. They knew they were going to be making trades. Um, Why not bring him back? It's like, you know, I asked Bloom, what's the point in keeping players who are going to be free agents anyways when you are not going to make the playoffs? So essentially, why keep Bradley? And he said it's important to have a positive environment here, to have a – a clubhouse that breeds winning that, you know, and Jack, he seems to really like Jackie. I think Jackie contributes to that, that even if Jackie's going to be a free agent, just having him here for another month can be helpful to the overall atmosphere on the Red Sox. Don't tell me having Brock Holt here for another month wouldn't do the same exact thing. Um, it wouldn't have cost them anything. He was released. Uh, it could have been a very easy move for them. I believe he passed through waivers and was just straight up released and then signed by the Nationals. So it seemed like an easy move that they could have made and didn't. And I do wonder because Bloom chose, essentially chose Jose Peraza over Brock Holt in the off season. We see this all the time. There's a lot of stubbornness with general managers in baseball. Mm. When they ha- when they make decisions, they want to stick to them and write them out and they don't want to ever admit that they screwed up. And I think if you bring Brock Holt back, there is, there could be a sense of, Ooh, well, Peraza didn't really pan out. You know, should we have kept Holt? Uh, I don't know. I, I wonder about that. So here's what I'm wondering now, too. I, I, and I was talking earlier about the, this rampant anonymity that suddenly has taken hold with the Red Sox. You've got guys getting cleared out. I get it. 
Uh, Darwin's and Hernandez has to go on the IL, so we knew there would have to be some more guys coming up. But you look at the transactions that happened on Monday morning, you know, the Red Sox announced it's Jairo Munoz, Robinson Layer, and Mike Kickham. And I think the immediate reaction from Red Sox fans is who the hell are Jairo Munoz, Robinson Layer, and Mike Kickham, right? Because at least with Bobby Dahlbeck, you've been hearing his name for a good long time. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the point is is you have to keep some guys around to keep people watching the games. And we know there's going to be some people who are going to watch the games anyways that are just diehards, but a lot of people aren't. <laughs> and when you're out of the playoff race and there's a pandemic, there's no fans in the stands, there's no energy, why are we watching? And you're watching because you want to see some the next wave of players. And you would think this is a perfect opportunity. Bring up Jaron Duran. Let's see what Jaron Duran can do. Get people excited about what the future might be for this team. You know, Tristan Casas might, yeah, maybe he's got another year, but we see what he's doing down in those simulated games in, in Pawtucket, and we know what kind of potential he has. There, are, If the service time manipulation wasn't such a big thing in baseball, I think we'd see some more interesting names up here. Um, you certainly understand why teams do it to save another year of team control. You're not going to call the prospects up too early. But, man, it would be nice to see Jaron Duran playing some center field in Fenway Park right now, to see some of these other young guys. Show the show the fans what we have coming. Because right now it's like, why are we watching this team? And, and there, there isn't a whole lot of reason to do it. Maybe Alex Verdugo, maybe Bobby Dahlbeck, but they, they just don't have a lot of reasons to watch this team. Verdugo is exciting. I agree. Uh, you know, two guys that I think some Red Sox fans were holding their breath. We had heard these rumors that, hey, you know, we, we won't say no to anything. And I think some people were like, well, wait a minute. Does that mean Devers and Bogarts too? Devers entered Sunday three for 25 with a dozen strikeouts. And then all of a sudden he has a four for four day with a couple of home runs and a walk. Now, granted, the wind was blowing out. It was a kind of a home run happy day. But the ones he hit didn't need help from wind. I mean, it was just a good old-fashioned Raphael yep. Devers kicking ass kind of day. So Devers and Bogarts are, are still around. That is, that's obviously a big deal. What's your take on the, the seasons they've had so far? And, and I'm going to throw in Benintendi as an obvious just wipeout here in, in 2020. But to me, as a Red Sox fan, I would have been excited if you would have told me, all right, look, we don't know what else is going on, but at least you got Benny. At least you got Devers. At least you got Bogarts. I mean, that's such a nice big three. Throw J.D. Martinez on that log pile, too, if you want. You'd think that's enough to keep our interest, but but somehow it really hasn't been, it seems like, this year. Right. I think that was almost the only can-lose situation. Because if you trade Bogarts or Devers, you are going to lose a lot of fans. People are going to be really upset. They saw how important they've been to the franchise in the recent years, how good Devers was with Alex Cora here, his potential when he got hot. Um, he had some big moments in the 2018 postseason as well. I mean, you can't move Bogarts or Devers unless you're getting a surefire, no doubt, you know, top prospect who's going to be a superstar for a long time because they are superstars. They're superstars in their prime. So th- that was almost a you only can lose situation. If you trade one of those guys, you're going to lose a lot of fans. You're going to upset a lot of people. Ben Intendi to me is a totally different story. Right. I have two more for, for for you, Jason. I know you're yeah. trying to cover a game, so I don't want to oh, bother okay. you too much here. But uh, you you brought up Ron Renicky, who might only be a, a quick 60-game Band-Aid. We, we all get that. But i got to tell you, this is one of the nicest, kindest Band-Aids that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. And, and, and what he did when he stepped up and had, as you mentioned, his emotional appeal 
uh, coming off of the Kenosha protests and all of that, when he said, if you're a kid and you turn on the TV today and you don't see why or don't see that we're playing, you ask your parents, why aren't the Red Sox playing? He said, I hope the parents have a serious discussion with their kids and tell them what's going on. Explain it, because we need to discuss these things more. We need to listen more. I thought that was his finest moment as a Red Sox and, frankly, as a, a citizen of, of the country. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it, Ron's been a really nice guy. Uh, he has been. Um, you know, I, I know he, he isn't really a huge fan of dealing with the media. He's maybe not as as smooth and comfortable at it as Alex Cora was, and not many people are. Um, but he certainly seems like a very kind man. And, and the, what we've seen from him in that regard you know, it, it makes sense to me why J.D. Martinez and Christian Vasquez and some other guys in the locker room were saying after Cora got, uh, not fired, but mutually let go, we'll call it, um, were saying that they wanted Renicki to replace them, that this was the guy they wanted. They wanted the clubhouse culture to stay the same. And we can have serious questions about whether or not the clubhouse, clubhouse culture needs to change on this team, if that's something that needs to change. But there's no question Ron's been a really nice guy. People like him, um, and it, 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 I'm sure it's going to be a difficult conversation that they have to have with him if they end up bringing Cora back. Jason, last one for you. I mean, here we are as we talk. The two bottom teams in the American League are the Red Sox and the Angels. Now, I, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I never would have guessed that. I might have nope. guessed that the Red Sox would have been 500, right? But, you know, for them to be the two worst is just amazing. Uh, the, the Padres just traded for everybody in the league. Uh, you know, you, I mean, there, there's so much just incredible intrigue going on, and, and teams like the Red Sox and Angels, you would thought would be in the middle of it, simply are not. Are there things off the top of your head? And I know this is kind of a weird question, but as we head down the, the home stretch here, I mean, basically three, four weeks to go now, what are you most looking forward to? If it's not seeing if Mookie can win it in LA, seeing if the Padres mm-hmm. can can do this or Tampa Bay can finally break through. What what are some of the things that you're kind of sniffing around as a fan and wondering right now? Yeah, those are good ones. I mean, definitely paying attention to Mookie and the Dodgers. There is so much pressure on them. I mean, they're sitting at 26 and 10 and just complete monsters uh, of the National League. The Padres don't interest me a ton. I don't know why. Sometimes you get these teams, they just put random players, good players together all of a sudden and uh, I don't have a ton of interest in those teams, but I'm sure a lot of people are going to be watching the Padres. I'll tell you what, the Yankees, to me, are still one of the most interesting teams because they lose half their team to the injured list again, and all of a sudden they start losing. I mean, two weeks ago, they looked unbeatable. They looked like the best team in baseball history. And now half their team is on the injured list, and are they going to be able to do this again? Is Aaron Boone going to have that magic? He seems like he has like an Alex Cora type of feel for the how to manage his roster. Just does an incredible job with the Yankees. So I'm paying attention to them and the White Sox, who I didn't know how good they were going to be coming into this season. We expected they would be better than they were. Michael Kopech, their big right arm that they got from the Red Sox, opted it out of the season. And I said, I don't know about this team. And now they're sitting in first place in the Central. That looks like a really interesting team, too. you got Yohan Mercado over there. you got Luis Robert. I mean, that's a team that I'm paying attention to in the American League for sure. Jason Master Donato visiting with us. Those are some good ones that you brought up right there for sure. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and toss it from you to our interview here momentarily with Tom Goodwin, which, again, was, was done way back in the spring training because I thought people would like to, to hear that. But, uh, Jason, as always, great to catch up with you, my friend. Any Anybody who grew up in Rochester, New York, is fine by me always. So 
Uh, keep up your wonderful work, and uh, hopefully we'll see each other in person soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, John. Let's talk about life as a first base coach. You are about the most social person I've ever met, <laughs> and that's the perfect job for you. When you go to a first base coach assignment and you know that's going to be your thing, do you, it's going to sound weird, do you brush up on your witty repartee <laughs> because you know you're going to be social all year? You do have to be ready. You have to be ready to talk. So your saliva has to, you know, has to make sure that you don't have the dry mouth, the cotton mouth coming in. So you got to make sure, you know, to take care of that before you get out there. What's but, your go-to? You're like a cert guy? Uh, what do you do? Well, yeah, just any, any, you know, some, some gum. I try to, I try not to chew gum on the field or okay. eat seeds on the field. So I try to chew gum in between innings a lot just to kind of, you know, get me, get me, uh, get my whistle wet a little bit. And then uh, hopefully I do a lot of talking when I get out there. That means I got a lot of, I got a lot of action going on around the bases. So that's, that's kind of where I was, that's more my go-to than anything. Who are the guys, the first baseman, the umpires, the non-Red Sox that you, when you see, oh, good, it's that guy. Who, who are those people for well, you? The, well, the big first baseman is Freddie Freeman. Okay. That's my guy. Um, you know, I give him a bro, a man hug every time I see him. And, you know, people say, yeah, we got to call a timeout. We got to stop the game <laughs> because Freddie and I have to make sure that, especially now that I've, I've come away from the Mets and I've come over here, I don't see him as often. So right. well, you, you have him um, in spring training for but, probably yeah, four now, and yeah. 19 in the regular yeah, season. Yeah, now right. we'll have him for four if he plays. I mean, he might not play in the, right. uh, in the you know, in the spring training games. Um, and then James Hoy. James Hoy is one of, hmm. you know, is one of my good guys. I mean, they're, they're actually, I got a lot of, a lot of umpire friends, but James is probably the one that I talk to the most. We go over the rules. He'll give me a scenario. I'll have to go in, and by the time I come back out for the next inning, I'll have to have an answer. You're for educated him, by or him. else he kicks me out. So I got to make sure that, that I at least have an answer for him. What was the genesis of that friendship? How did that start? With James? Yeah. Yeah, we, we just started. Um, I mean, I've known him since I, I think since my playing days, or at least the end of my playing days. I'm right. not sure how long he's been umpiring, but I know I, you know, I, we crossed paths a lot when I played and it was just you know coming back and getting in and you just kind of build a relationship with with the guys that you see out there most when a foul ball comes your way it is theater the Rick to me I'm still talking you see what I'm saying yeah well see that's what I'm saying Rick Helling walks by and he's got a slap five and it's just but we just keep going like it's no big deal we we move forward this is what we do when a foul ball comes your way does a big green light start flashing like okay it's showtime because I can go get this ball and now I'm God sometimes it is you know, you have to weigh the, uh, you know, risk reward type of thing. Is is it is the risk I'm taking worth the beating I'm going to take if I, if I botch this ball up? Uh, and then if I make the play, is it one of those plays where it's like, okay, you're going to be looked at as a king for at least a half an inning or two? Great so, uh, yeah. So those those things go through your mind when balls are coming down there. Now the ones that are really blistered down there, you just got to let them go. But those in betweeners. Those are the ones when they're, you know, a lot, and then the fans will get on you. They're like, oh, you got to have that good one. You got to have it. I say, you know, there's a reason I'm coaching first base in this, in this league right now for, and it's not, be, it's because I, I couldn't make those stops anymore. So how come Rawlings doesn't do a gold glove for first base coaches? I mean, can we, get, I'm an ideas guy. Can huh? we get some, yeah. Can we, can we move, you know, forward? Can we be forward thinking on that? That is a great idea. Thank you very little. I, I think that would be something that, that could come up. You, cause you can evaluate that. There's not that many plays being made down there. What about the hot shots that come at you? You, you are a very limber individual. You were a very speedy base runner back in your day. It's a useful skill set for when you get a scorcher, mm. but how many times a, a year do you literally feel your heart going because that one was close? Well, I, I tell you what, you know, we have uh, we have Mitchell Moreland here who likes to bring it down there at me every now and again. <laughs> but I had Kelly Johnson when I was with the Mets, and Kelly Johnson came over, and he would whistle some line drives. It wasn't just the hard ground balls; it was the sure. line drives where you just didn't know which way to go. It's like, oh, and then all of a sudden you're stuck. 
Uh, and once you get stuck, let me tell you, it's not a good feeling. No. But um, but yeah. So it's you. You have to be ready. Um, you know, our third base I think is a little more because there's a lot more right-handed hitters, and he's uh, Carlos is a lot closer to the action than I am, especially with a man at second base. Right. But it still comes down there pretty hard at first base. One major change, and it's a good change for everybody, is the netting. But it certainly has altered your ability to just make a quick friend with a little little flip, little toss into the crowd. You got to really be artful now to arch it up and over. I know you've gotten good at it, but do you miss the days of being able to just pick out a, a little kid in the stands and make it from A to B real quick like that's, that? That's honest, honestly, on a, on a real tip, that's what hurts. Is, I mean, it, it's great for the netting. Don't get, don't get me wrong. It's, the netting is saving, you know, is, is, is letting people have a nice Christmas time Correct. because they're not going to leave the stadium, you know, going to the hospital or something like that. It's, it's, it's really dangerous, and those balls are coming in there harder and harder as we're seeing the exit velocities of some of these balls coming off the bat. So, it's a really good thing, but yes, it, it has made my it, it, it's giving me a little better touch going over the net. But teardrop. But then it also get, puts that little fear in it. Like if I don't get it over the net, I'm gonna get booed. And that whole section that's sitting right there. Although I was trying to help. Yeah, you were trying to be a good feed, guy. Right? I was being a good guy. Right. Next thing you know, I'm getting booed. I couldn't understand it. And then one time the umpire picked it up. I can't remember who it was. How shame he picked it up. I, I, I hit the net. He picked it up. Toss it over to oh, net. The they hero. booed me, and he's the hero. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. So last one for you on that, because I know you got to get going. But uh, back in the day, uh, whether it was as a player uh, or as a first base coach, mm-hmm. if a ball gets to a fan, there's there is a connection. I mean, even yeah. if it's for five seconds, there's a connection. Is there ever been a time? Was there ever a time where you sought out somebody? They then kind of found you and, and a friendship developed anything like that or did you uh, ever have a time where you, you walked away thinking boy th- that person really needed that ball there are definitely those times and it, and it is because I remember I still remember a, a towel that I'm sure has since been washed and probably thrown away or maybe was used to wash a car or dry a car I should say but mm-hmm. I remember we were at Fresno uh, selling arena in Fresno I was a little kid and the Lakers played a game playing exhibition game against somebody okay. and Magic Johnson just walked by and just flipped the towel to me and it was, I mean that was there's so much satisfaction in that and we didn't how, have a Laker emblem, I don't know, it was, I had to be 10, okay. you know maybe 10, 11 um, but it was just the satisfaction of receiving a towel from Magic Johnson, now I am no Magic Johnson, let's get that straight right now, but I do know the feeling of that young boy receiving something from somebody that's either on that field playing or coaching uh, or young girl uh, receiving something from that uh, player or coach that is so gratifying and so satisfying. And yes, I, and in this day and age, you can receive because I, I have yeah. uh, the Twitter. I mean, I don't have Twitter, but I have uh, Instagram and Facebook. So They'll find you. I have received uh, notes from, um, from those little kids that have, you know, that have just thanked me for, for uh for giving them that little gift that's so cool and, and this is just me is my opinion just like rock beats scissors and rock paper scissors ball <laughs> beats towel every time every I mean, time. even if it's a magic oh towel. every time yeah. every time if, if, if you can leave with a baseball at a, at a baseball sporting event you have done something thank you my friend all right many thanks once again to tom goodwin that was way back in spring training just full disclosure there what an interesting interesting guy Mentioned he's from Fresno way back in the podcast when it began, uh, just like Tom Seaver. And 14 big league seasons for Tom Goodwin as a player, stole nearly 370 bases. He was a Dodger, a Royal, a Ranger, a Rocky, a Giant, and a Cub. Had a 66 stolen base season with the Royals in 96. 
always interested me that he was a first-round pick of the Dodgers coming out of Fresno State. That was in 89, the year after the Dodgers won the World Series. Because Goody grew up a huge Giants fan, but was drafted by the Dodgers. And during his days at Fresno State, if anyone dared wear a Dodger cap in the Bulldogs clubhouse, Goody would knock it right off the guy's head. Uh, so the fact that he got going as a Dodger, I always thought was kind of funny. But he, he never walked enough to be a, a consummate leadoff hitter, even though he had the track star speed. But in his heyday, this is a guy that was clocked at 3.5 seconds to first on a ground ball, 3-3 on a drag bunt. And uh, just an interesting way that he went about it. it he, uh, he never choked up, always held the bat right down at the handle, even though he was this all-speed, no-power guy. I always wondered about that. Played a really shallow center field, about 60 or 70 feet behind second base because he didn't have a great throwing arm. But uh, I loved watching Goody play because I'm of that age, and, and I know a lot of Red Sox fans just think of him as this kind of happy-go-lucky first base coach. But Goody could play back in the day. He really could. Now the question is, can these current Red Sox players play? Can they get off, get off, off the mat? out of the abyss, whatever you want to call it, uh, as of this recording, as I mentioned with Jason Mastrodonato, they and the Angels are the bottom two teams in the American League, and that just does not compute. But anyway, it's onward and upward with a whole new cast of characters. We're just getting to know Verdugo. He now seems like the senior member of the team, doesn't he? Wherever this goes from here, my apologies. I am jumping off of the podcast for a while. We'll see if I, I come back or not. You, you'll figure that one out when I figure that one out, but I do have some other pressing things I got to do on the West Coast, so I respectfully uh, will will seed the right of way here, and, and hopefully the, the pod will continue unabated. I'm sure it'll be in good hands with whatever they decide to do, but many thanks to Bet Online, our, our great sponsor, all these wonderful guests that I've had, including Jason Mastrodonato here today. Thank you so much for being part of Red Sox Nation. I, I don't work for the Red Sox. I, I'm just a, a fan. I've become one rather recently, but I, I love how they do their business. I love the history. Uh, I, I love the passion from you guys. So uh, if you need anything, uh, I, I hope we'll find each other again. This is Josh Lewin. This is Red Sox Beat.